think about the ascension. You think about this next line in the creed. Descended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand the reality of this ascension and what it means about Jesus and what it means about us here and now. Guide our hearts. Fill us in Jesus' name. Amen. So he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God Almighty. Great. So what? <laughs> right? We kind of skip over this sometimes. Um, we do really well with Advent. Right? That season of preparation for the coming of Jesus. We do really well with Christmas. We all kind of love that. Or maybe some of us don't, but we pretend that we do. Um, we do well with Holy Week. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Resurrection. Right? And we even do really well, I think, with Pentecost. We get excited about that, Holy Spirit, you know? But what about this ascension? Ascension. That's, that's a little fuzzy sometimes in the church. It might be a little fuzzy in our heads. It was a little fuzzy for the kids this morning, you know? Um, <clears throat> it's kind of like that Sunday school question that the teacher dreads. Jesus ascended, so what's he doing now? And the Sunday school teacher is like, ah, let me look. <laughs> it's in here somewhere. Let me see what I can find on it. <clears throat> there's two accounts of the ascension directly in the Gospels. And then there's another one in Acts. And we're going to take a look at these today and see what we can understand about what Jesus is doing now, what that means for us, and what we are supposed to be doing because of what Jesus is doing. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 45. Luke 24, starting at 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So, seems very matter of fact, doesn't it? He gives these parting words, right? Tells them, go wait until you are clothed with power from on high. We know that to be Pentecost, coming of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. <laughs> and then, over in Mark, a similar account. We should take a look at that, as long as we're studying this. Mark chapter 16. Starting at the 14th verse. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven um, themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, 
because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and, baptized and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So it's a similar thing. Jesus offers some parting words, some instructions. Um, Mark is a little bit different than Luke in some ways, uh, but both of them talk about Jesus being taken up into heaven, sitting down at the right hand of God. So Christ being seated is significant. It's not that he was tired and needed to sit down for a minute. Being seated points to the completion of the work of salvation. Think about what Christ has just done, right? Everything that was prophesied, Jesus completed. He went through the birth, his life, his baptism, his teaching, his earthly ministry, his betrayal, his death, his resurrection. The work is finished. Death is conquered. Satan has lost, and we are alive forevermore, and no one can snatch us out of his hand because of what Christ has done. If the, if the resurrection affirms that Jesus lives forever, the ascension affirms that Jesus reigns forever. He is king, king of all creation. It affirms his glory that God has exalted his son to the place of glory at his right hand. So when it says he is seated, there's a lot in that, right? Turn with me, if you would, over to Romans Chapter 8, verse 34. It's good to be able to read the scriptures for yourself and also have practiced flipping over to them and learn where things are. Romans 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? who indeed is interceding for us. So not only in the ascension is Christ seated, king of glory, but he stands praying for you and me. He is interceding for us that we would stay true, that we would persevere, that we would keep the faith and finish the race. In Hebrews, there's a few scriptures. I won't have us turn to all of them, but I'm going to point them out to us. 
In chapter 1, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He's completed the work, and now he is interceding for us. So that Sunday school question, what is Jesus doing now? He's praying for you. He didn't forget about you. He hasn't forgotten what it's like to be a human dealing with sickness and sin, temptation, suffering, and loss. He's not so caught up in the glory in heaven that he's forgotten what it was like to live and die as one of us that we might be reconciled to him and he is praying for you. Hebrews chapter 7, 25 says this, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's all over the scriptures. It's all over the New Testament that Jesus is interceding for us. We aren't doing this alone. Not only did he go that the comforter might come, that we would be clothed with power from on high, but Jesus, the King of glory himself, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, is praying for us. Wow. Jesus is both king and great high priest. King of glory, great high priest. Priest, right, for the people, was the intermediary between God and man. Now we have Christ who has made atonement on our behalf and is the intermediary. So he's fulfilling multiple roles in our lives as our king as the Lord of all creation, as the priest. So we know what Jesus is doing until he comes back. What are we supposed to be doing until he comes back? What does this ascension have to do with us? What does it mean for us? You know, without the ascension, there is no Pentecost. You ever thought about that, right? So, in John chapter 16, Jesus says um, that it is to our advantage that he goes, because when he goes, he will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. In both of those accounts of the Ascension that we just read from the Gospels, they are told to wait for power. They are told that something is coming, that the Holy Spirit is coming. Jesus is reminding them of that promise that it is better for him to go, that the Comforter might come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, we will have everything that we need to walk in the power of the resurrection and to fulfill the words of the Great Commission that we just read to one degree or another in those two Gospels. Now in the Gospel of Matthew, there's a much more concise and perhaps more familiar version of the Great Commission that you're um, probably a little bit more familiar with, but we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Jesus needed to ascend and to go that the Holy Spirit might come 
And obviously he knew that we were going to need intercession. So he is still taking care of us right now. The other thing that the Ascension does, as far as uh, we are concerned, is it, it reminds us that he's coming back. That this is not the end of the story. That Christ is coming back to renew everything. And the entire creation is groaning for his return. <clears throat> I mentioned at the beginning one account of the uh, Ascension found in Acts. And we're going to go there now. You might want to turn to this one. Because there's some very specific and exciting things in there. It's Acts chapter 1. Acts is right after the book of John, the Gospel of John. So, starting at the fourth verse. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so a similar promise to what we heard in the Gospels. Similar promise, wait for the power from on high, go to Jerusalem, something is coming. So continuing at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, here it comes, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. In the same way that they saw him go up into heaven. <clears throat> I love this. Why are you guys standing there? <laughs> what are you doing? I, I think they were probably just awestruck at what they had seen. You know, it's a pretty good chance that that cloud that Jesus was received up into wasn't a cumulonimbus or something. If you look back... Through scripture, when clouds happen, quite often it's the glory of God. It's the glory cloud. And you, know, you look at um, following the, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And different people have been received and taken up. Oftentimes there's a cloud. I mean, this, this was an awesome scene. And no wonder they were standing there going... <laughs> but... These two men that were standing there, that appeared, and were with them in white robes, are kind of shaking them out of it, saying, what are you standing here for? He's coming back. And then they probably remembered those last words of Jesus, go and wait for power from on high. The next thing that was going to happen. 
So while Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit, and he is in heaven, seated, making intercession for us, here we are until he returns. That's going to be the next big part of the story when Jesus comes back. So what do we do until then? We don't just stand there, right? <laughs> do something. How many of you ever said that to somebody? Don't just stand there. <laughs> do something. We worship. We pray. We listen. We tell others about Jesus. We love others. We come together for Eucharist. We do the work of the Lord. We try not to get bogged down in the tyranny of the mundane or the urgent in those time-consuming things that don't matter eternally. We remember who we are and whose we are. This life is not it. The ascension reminds us of that and points to the future that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, some of you that are older than me are probably going to chuckle at this because I feel like at 43, man, I wonder if I have more years ahead of me or than I do behind me or, or what. I don't know how long I'll be here. I think 43 times 2 is 86 all day long. Wow. <laughs> you know, getting there. Next big one I'm staring at is 50. I just can't. I don't know. <laughs> I know, right? Does <laughs> my back hurt after climbing the top in this last time? <laughs> but as Christians, there's so much more ahead of us than behind us. In many respects, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, you are X number of years into living in his kingdom eternally. You ever think about that? at the very beginning of it of something wonderful that never ends that the ascension reminds us of as we look to Christ's return as we make decisions about our time and our priorities we have got to have an eternal perspective because without that we're going to make some very temporal decisions Jesus had this perspective Think about that. The night before he was handed over to suffering and death, John chapter 17, he was praying for us. He had an eternal perspective, even as he was facing this death on the cross. He was praying for us. The creator of the universe, the king of glory, has not stopped praying for us. He's still doing it right now. There's uh, something that we have from the early church called the Paschal Traparian. <laughs> and it says this. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. And on those in the tombs, bestowing life. We are the ones in the tombs, spiritually, on whom Christ has restored life. There's another beautiful promise in Scripture that he holds our souls in life and does not allow our feet to slip. So Jesus doesn't send us out to fail and to die. He sends us his Holy Spirit that we might be able to abide in him and through his power be his witnesses until he returns. 
I want to close by going back to one of those first scriptures that we started with in Romans chapter 8. If you want to turn there with me, I, I invite you to, because we're going to read just a little more of it. Um, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 34. This is that scripture that I read that talked about Jesus is at the right hand of God and is indeed interceding for us. Now that we've talked about that, let's look at that in just a little bit wider context because it's beautiful. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This entire passage has a giant therefore right in front of it. Because of who Christ is, because of what he has done, because of where he is and what he is doing now, and who he has sent, therefore, all of that is true for us. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. This is whom we serve. This is whom we receive power through. Let us walk in that power as more than conquerors. It is Christ who loves us. It is Christ who is the King of glory who prays for us. We cannot fail. Amen. Amen.